Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We welcome you to New Jersey. We will have for you tonight Penn State's matchup against Rutgers from the rack because the Shikalimi game has been postponed tonight because of snow. So Shikalimi, gone. Penn State basketball, in. Until tomorrow, and then we will have Shikalimi taking on Mifflinburg at 5.30. So. Is that Eastern time? I'm that is kidding. Eastern Standard I'm, Time. I'm just joking. <laughs> so it's snowing there, huh? Yeah, we're we're looking at it's it's like a little small thing. It's supposed to be all done, you know, over and said and done with by like seven seven thirty. But it's dropping. Perfect. It's dropping quickly. You know, one to three inches and done with. Perfect, because I'm driving through there. I'll be through there. I would say about. One fifteen this morning. There you go. You should be fine. I think you'll be all <laughs> I'll be right. Driving through there. It's supposed to get warmer. Uh, it's not supposed to get too like icy or anything. I think it'll be a pretty easy thing, but it's probably going to be a little, you know, treacherous for a few hours there. So they figured, why risk, you know, for a absolutely. game? Absolutely. You know, when you can play it tomorrow. So. Absolutely. Uh, understand that completely. Uh, several items to. Get to uh, number one, the Matt Rule State College's own. Mm-hmm. And you ever hear us talk about on um, basketball, Cappy? That's Dave Capriletti, mm-hmm. who's the director of basketball operations. He bought Matt Rule's parents' house in State College. So he's actually living there now. Oh. Matt Rule today took the Carolina Panthers job, a seven-year, $60 million deal. He sure did, and he played the Giants. <laughs> well, no, they went to the Giants and said, Can, do you want to match this? And the Giants said no. Yeah. Well, I mean. So the, Giants, the Giants made their decision. I mean, look, you get an offer. You're allowed to go to somebody else and say, do you want to match it oh, or, or approve it? Yeah. So they did, and he ends up in in Charlotte, which is a beautiful area. Yep. And so he takes that. The Giants then turned to Joe Judge, the Uh, wide receiver coach, the wide receiver coach for the New England Patriots. I mean, that guy's that guy has done yeoman's work for the past few years. (laughs) Yeah, wide receiver coach for the uh, for the Patriots. Wow, and he gets uh, that spot, and Jason Garrett there. Allegedly talking to him about being the offensive coordinator. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good move for the Giants, but who knows? Who knows? Well, sometimes when sometimes some people are better suited to be a coordinator than they are to truth. Uh, being a head coach, I agree. I mean, I, I you know, as a Jets fan, I loved Rex Ryan, but I thought he would be more suited as a, a defensive, you know, a defensive coordinator as opposed to a head coach. You know, I, that's just who he is. So I totally agree with you. Buddy Ryan's the same way. Some people are, are suited that way. 
So it looks like the Giants are going to hire uh, Joe Judge as the uh, the Giants are going to hire him as the head coach. Maybe go with Jason Garrett as the coordinator. Matt Rule is going to get a seven-year, sixty million dollar deal with the Carolina Panthers. They have the money, as I've pointed out before. I got to give Tepper a lot of credit. Tepper may not have had the highest bid to buy at Carolina, but at two point two billion, he paid cash. Could you? I mean, that's awesome. I mean, <laughs> it's speechless. You're just. I mean, what? I mean, what a thrill that must be. <laughs> no, I got it. Do you, do you want you? Do you want it in a bank check or do you want tw- in twenties? In twenties, <laughs> we'll give it to you in nickels. Yikes! <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah, it's pretty tremendous. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, there, there was a movie years ago. And I'm talking, this movie goes back, I want to say, 35 years, maybe 40 years. A movie entitled Heaven Can Wait. Oh, I love that movie. It's great. Uh, with Warren, Warren Beatty. Beatty. Yep. And there's a scene where he wants to try out for the Los Angeles Rams as their quarterback. And, of course, they look at him like, you're nuts. Get out of here. <laughs> so he's a multi-multi-billionaire. So he goes in and buys the team. <laughs> that way he can try. That way he can try out to be the Rams' starting quarterback. Yep. So the former owner is sitting in the stands with one of his investor buddies, and he says, "Marty, what did he do to, t- to take and get the team from you?" And he said, "How much would it take to buy this team?" And I said, two hundred million." He said, "And he had to be cash." He goes, "Ruthless." <laughs> it's true. It's true. Isn't that kind of what Steve Ballmer did with the Clippers too? Didn't he show up and buy like just slap, you know, pretty much pay cash for the Clippers? Steve Ballmer was going to buy the Sacramento Kings. Uh, he uh, he was going to do that in conjunction with. And I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, he was going to do it with somebody else who's also in into tech in the Northwest. And they were going to take the Kings and move them back to Seattle and reinvent the Seattle Supersonics. And then Kevin Johnson, the former Phoenix Suns guard, who's now the mayor of Sacramento, stepped in and they got Globe One Arena built and they kept the Kings in Sacramento. So when Ballmer missed on that, because they really thought they had it, when they missed on that and then the Clippers opportunity with Donald Sterling opened up, he paid two. I think he paid two billion even yeah. for the Clippers. Two billion even, <laughs> and I think he paid cash. Yep, I believe right. so too. You're you're the NBA. I mean, you're Adam Silver. You're saying uh, the liquidity looks good. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analysis. <laughs> <laughs> and. I don't think they're going to have any financial problems. In fact, the the Clippers the Clippers now would like to build a new arena, which I think they. Uh, I don't blame them. Sharing an arena where you're not the prime tenant is not fun. Well, they might be. I mean, think about it this year. You, you may you may have, if if things fall the right way, you you may have a playoff series this year where all seven games are played in the same arena. Sure, like, that I, might I understand happen. That that would be tremendous. Right, that, 
Right. That might happen, but he wants to build an arena out by the old forum in Inglewood. Right. And the problem he has is that the forum in Inglewood is owned by James Dolan, Ugh. who owns the Knicks. Ugh. And he's trying to block another NBA owner from putting a team out there. I mean, I'm sorry, but the forum in Inglewood is 50 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they still do killer is, concerts there. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is where, and I, you know, and I asked the suit, who now obviously is driving fancy cars and things like that. I'll ask the suit straight out: <laughs> When is it? Do you get to a point where there's enough money? Wow, you're getting into a real deep conversation here. <laughs> I, I don't think I there mean, is, that, unfortunately, but that's part of the problem here. On all things, that's part of the problem. It, there's not enough for some of these guys. That's what I say to the suit all the time. When's enough enough? I mean, you see what he's driving now. My goodness. I I know. It's it's crazy. It's insulting to all of us. I mean, I didn't realize there was a Porsche dealership there. All right. um, (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, holy mackerel. Yeah, Sunbury Motors is not carrying Porsches last time I checked. uh, Yeah. So... uh, I mean, I, I get concerned. I mean, there's a Lamborghini dealership? Really? <laughs> well, we're brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Right. Where the common man and even those who are doing very well love to deal with. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Every day when work is over with, the suit uh, moonwalks his way to his Lamborghini to that song. <laughs> Something. It's unbelievable. Uh. He's a scary dude, man. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I. I have no. I have no answer. I, I don't know him as well as you guys do, so I can't. I can't comment. He's always been Just all right so to know. me. Just so you know, we also have no answer. Okay. Um. We have no answer. Right. So. 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 Yeah. So in the land. So we were talking about the coaches. So in the landscape of the NFC East, 
How does this shake out? Do you think this this uh, makes it easier for the Eagles now that there's so much turnover in the coaching ranks, or do you think that the NFC East becomes, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot. First of all, I think the Eagles obviously have a winner in Doug Peterson, yes. so we start there. Okay, so that that's that's established right out of the gate. Okay, uh, so that's fine. But a lot of this comes down to personnel. So if you're Mike McCarthy and you re-sign Dak Prescott, what do you lose around Dak Prescott because you signed him? Because in order to sign your quarterback, that takes money and it also takes – because everything – so much of this deals with how do you manage your cap. And in managing your cap, you're then going to have, obviously, issues to deal with in terms of tough decisions to make on who you keep, who you don't. I mean, you may not end up keeping two or three defensive players because you had to pay your quarterback. Which would be big for the Cowboys, yeah. Right. So, I'll give you a great example. I've always used this example, so I'll use it again. Russell Wilson came to the Seattle Seahawks as a third-round pick, which meant he was making third-round money. Okay. Well, in making third-round money, they were able to take the extra money, and guess what? They were able to go out and get Bobby Averill. They were able to sign Percy Harvin. You know, and I mean, and they were able to make some other moves that weren't as dramatic because they had the capital to do that. And the Seattle, in turn, then went and won a Super Bowl and then came within one two. play of winning a second Should've one. Should have won right. two, yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, then what happens, Russell, then it, then, then it, it comes to a, a point you have to do something. Because at that point, his contract's going to be up, so now you have to either cut bait or pay him. Well, quarterback is a commodity in the league where you look at him and say, I don't really think we can afford to uh, move on to somebody else. Right. So, you pay him. Well, in the process of paying him, you now reduce your financial flexibility about how you go about doing your business personnel-wise. Well, yeah, that's why Michael Bennett's so, in Philly and Richard Sherman's in San Fran and right. so on. Right. Earl, Earl Thomas and so forth. So, Thomas, it, you know, right. it makes it Right, so it makes it tougher to deal with. So right now the Giants have, let's take the Giants, who get Joe Judge. They have Daniel Jones on a rookie contract. Now, not a third-round contract, but still a rookie contract. They still have Saquon Barkley on his rookie contract. Right? They don't have Odell Beckham to pay anymore. So they've got some financial flexibility to potentially make some moves. Dallas might not because they're going to have to pay Dak Prescott. They've finally gotten to that line where they have to come up with a solution there. Well, plus, they have Sean Lee, they have Ezekiel Elliott that they just paid, right? And Van right. Der Esch so, and all these other guys, yeah. Right. Uh, now, Van Der Esch is probably still on his rookie contract. Yeah, he's going to be coming close soon, though, right? He came in around right. the same time. Exactly. Well, no, he came in after he came in after Dak Prescott. Did he? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, so that, and then there's the Redskins, and the Redskins have a quarterback now on a rookie contract. I don't know what, you know, obviously Alex Smith is still under contract. And I'm not quite sure what the Redskins' financial flexibility is, but the quarterback does dictate a lot of what you can and can't do financially. Now, Green Bay has all that money tied up into Aaron Rodgers. What really has helped the Patriots over the years all right, and please don't laugh at this. I mean this in all sincerity. Is Giselle Fernandez? No, of course, because <laughs> she has, 
uh, Giselle B- uh, Bunchen, I mean, right, my, yeah. my apologies. She makes Giselle so Bunchen yeah. has makes so much money Tom that Brady doesn't care. Tom Brady, for the good of the team, has taken a lot less than what his value is, mm-hmm. and the Patriots have been able to spread the money out on various parts of the football team to keep them relevant at a high level. I mean, and don't I mean don't for a second think that uh, her being there. Okay, uh, you know, and, and him being married to her hasn't helped. Oh, it definitely has, uh, without a doubt. You know, it, it, it's helped tremendously. And the reason it has helped tremendously is because they've been able to have the financial flexibility to go out and get other people. And, you know, you look at Green Bay. Green Bay's been good the last few years, not great. They had to pay Aaron Rodgers. It's not there. Hey, look, what happened to the Ravens when Joe Flacco got a big number? Right, they fell the apart. Ravens were, yeah, they were just like they were just like they're good but not great. Well, now I, they've got Lamar Jackson on a rookie number, and and they've got and they've had flexibility to do some things. Well, you know, they they don't have Suggs anymore. I think it works on other uh, other positions too. Like for example, what makes the Packers so much better this year than any other year is the fact that they've been running the ball more because they have a dynamic running back who happens to be a rookie or on a rookie deal. He's a young guy. You know, he's, he doesn't right. have to pay. He has to have to make a lot of money. So, um, as opposed to like where the Jets had to go and spend a ridiculous amount of money on a running back who has that same kind of dynamic quality and then not use him. Uh, <laughs> I, but a lot of this, but a lot. Take my word. A lot of this goes to the quarterback. Right. Well, then my a next, lot of this, right? My, a lot of this goes to the quarterback because that is going to be nine times out of ten your highest paid player. Absolutely. So look at the Eagles. When they had Carson Wentz on a rookie deal, they were still able to keep Nick Foles, yep. quote, in the fold. Mm-hmm. Right? Because combined, they still made less money combined per season than Russell Wilson. But at some point, they had to make a decision. Which one of the two do you go with for the long-term big-money contract? And with all due respect to Nick Foles, who did marvelous things for them, they made the right choice and went with Carson Wentz. They definitely did, without a doubt. All right, coming up in the next half hour, Penn State Rutgers basketball tonight. Chickalimmy basketball, gone. (laughs) They'll play tomorrow. It's gone. So with that, we'll replace it with a nationally ranked team. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Penn State plays Rutgers tonight, 7 o'clock. I'm beginning at 6.30. So, James Cratch will join us from NJ.com. Rutgers has played terrific basketball this year. He'll tell us why. That's next half hour brought to you by Sunbury Motors. 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us today in New Jersey. Snowing in the valley today, at least for a period of time. With that, the Chickalimmi basketball game will not be played tonight, but they will play tomorrow night. That means Penn State and Rutgers tonight at 7 o'clock. We're on beginning at 6.30. 
And with that, we'll get a better insight into Rutgers basketball with uh, James Cratch, who joins us from NJ.com. Hello, James. Welcome. Great to have you with us on the show. And uh, you can give us a good feel for uh, Rutgers and why they are as solid as they've been this year. Yeah, great to be here. All right, uh, Rutgers has not lost at home this year uh, and, nope. and continue to play at a really high level. I want to start with the two transfers, Yeboah from Stony Brook and then Young, mm-hmm. who sat out last year from Texas. What have they meant to the cohesiveness on the floor? Yeah, so Yeboah has really come on strong, obviously. He's a guy who, really interesting story, he was uh, from Great Britain, was recruited over here at the Stony Brook by Steve Peichel. Uh, he redshirted. That year at Stony Brook made the NCAA tournament. Steve Peichel obviously then takes the job at Rutgers. Yeboa has a really, you know, emerges kind of like the best player at Stony Brook, but when he graduates this past spring, he's got one year left. He looks to kind of move to a bigger program. There's Steve Peichel right where, you know, they, Rutgers need a guy like him. He wanted to go to a, a Power 5 program, so he kind of lands here. And then Rutgers loses Eugene Amarui, who is kind of the heart and soul of their team inside. There, right. uh, he transfers to Oregon, so Yeboa kind of fits in perfectly. Took a couple of games for him to kind of break into the lineup and start to play a bigger role, but he's been tremendous for them. This kind of leadership, the toughness, the shooting ability. Um, they have, this team hasn't shot the lights out this year, but he's a guy who has had success before. And then Jacob Young is just. He's really a guy who kind of started off slow. I think a lot of people were concerned. He's a tremendous athlete. Um, and I think early yeah. on in the year, this looked like he was kind of out of control. You know, he, he'd drive, he'd, you know, he'd be, and he wouldn't finish the hoop. He started to kind of find a groove a little bit, starting to finish more shots. So I think Rutgers is hopeful that as the season progresses, he's going to become sharper and more effective, you know, scoring. And uh, he's come on the last couple of games on Caldwell. I mean, no offense, James, but uh, yeah. we were to score 10 against Caldwell. Uh, but the Nebraska game was also the first game they had to play without Geo Baker. What did mm-hmm. it mean to them that Caleb McConnell stepped up? Because McConnell played very well against Penn State here a year ago. Yeah, no, it was huge to them. I mean, obviously, for you know, it's funny. Rutgers had won four Big Ten road games in the entire you know time it's been in the conference uh, coming into that game. So for them to win basically a game on the road at Nebraska, I know Nebraska's down, but to win that game by basically 20 points, you know, they, Nebraska add a couple points at the end, it, it's very impressive, you know, and to do it without Geo Baker, who's kind of the heart and soul of this team, everything kind of goes through him. But McConnell's a guy who, is, he's, you know, this is kind of what Peichel has done. He was an under-the-radar recruit he, out of Ohio. You know, a lot of people hadn't heard of him. He steadily improved last season. And you know, in, in the you know, kind of a supporting role, he gets thrust into the lineup. And he plays really well. Obviously, he had some moments last year, so he's a guy who I think gives Rutgers a lot of confidence. That you know, they know Geo is in all likelihood going to be back at some point this year. It might just be a couple weeks that they can kind of hold down the floor with McConnell going forward. What kind of development have you seen in Miles Johnson inside? Oh, it, it's been tremendous. I mean, Miles Johnson, you know, a guy who. Red shirt in his first year, you know, kind of steadily came along last year. Uh, but he's been, you know, unstoppable this year. The only thing that really has stopped Miles Johnson is foul trouble. You know, and, and Rutgers is kind of, and I think, you know, this is a big key to watch for tonight. Um, Rutgers has kind of gone as Miles Johnson has gone. If he's on the court, he's played extremely well. They've won games. When he hasn't been on the court and he's struggled with fouls, they've really struggled. So everything kind of flows through him. Uh, the cool thing with Miles Johnson is he is, um, 
not maybe you know the breakout player this year. He's also the smartest guy on the team. Probably he's a serious engineering student. So everything that he kind of does, I, I always say, you know, we talk about student athletes. He's a guy who's up at six a.m. and probably going to bed at midnight. He's classes, you know, grinding during finals. You know, it, last month, you know, there were times where he'd have to like get in the gym and like have his own personal workout at late at night or early in the morning to fit around his final schedule. So he's a really smart kid. Um, again, another under the radar guy. It, it, it amazes me with all the you know, he's from California, all the schools in California that Rutgers was somehow able to pluck him out of there and bring him across the country. But they have it, and they're feeling very fortunate because he's been tremendous this season. So you're saying my ability to interview him would be very limited. No. I wouldn't say that. He's a great kid, very polite kid. But, yeah, he is a, you know, you always go, oh, this guy's smart. You know, he is a smart kid. Yeah, no, it's, and not only that, but I look at him inside. I think his footwork, and he's developed a really nice hook shot inside yeah. that's very hard to defend uh, when I watch him play. The other part, too, about Rutgers is that last year a primary part of the offense was the missed shot because they were such a tremendous offensive rebounding team. They're, they're mm-hmm. a better shooting team this year, but I also noticed they're still averaging 12.4 offensive boards a game, James. Yeah, and that was a concern because obviously when you lose Amarui to Oregon, I think a lot of people were concerned about, okay, you know, where's the toughness going to come from? Where's, you know, when you lose your leading scorer and your leading rebounder in one package and, and they, you know, kind of in the middle of the night, basically, um, this is kind of a stunning transfer. People were concerned about where that, you know, Hefton side was going to come from. But, you know, Miles Johnson filled up, you know, obviously you got Shaq Carter, um, you know, other guys like that. But it's just it's toughness. I mean, that's the one thing I will say about this team. You mentioned the Caldwell game. You know, that's a game where they're playing a Division two opponent from down the road. It's, uh, you know, two days before, you know, the night before New Year's Eve, you're up by 40 points, and this team is hustling for every loose ball, jumping on the floor, crashing the boards. You know, that was not a moment where they had to go 150%, but they were. So I think this is a team that they hustle, they're, they're tough, and that's what, you know, obviously the shooting has improved a little bit, but that's not allowed them to kind of keep that rebounding advantage. I think they're up there, you know, in terms of rebounding margin nationally, um, pretty high just because... They really hustle, and it's something Steve Peichel puts a lot of emphasis on. You know, you got to play defense and rebound if you're going to play for him. Ron Harper Jr. is a player that I felt as the season went a year ago got better and better. He is now coming into this game as the team's leading scorer. Uh, where have you seen development and growth in Ron Harper Jr.? I think it's the strength. You know, it's, it's confidence. You know, I, I think he's also he's kind of emerged as a leader on this team, and it's something that they kind of need right now. Um, with with Gio uh, on the sideline for a while, you know he's been a, he's a very vocal guy. He's a fan favorite. You know, I think obviously uh, he has the pedigree. You know his dad being you know champion in the NBA. Um, and he's just a, he's just a tough guy. I think that's my biggest thing, my takeaway. Oh, I see him play. Um, you know I'm not really a basketball guy, I'm more of a you know, football guy. You know right. when I was growing up, I didn't play hoops. I I also look at the guys you know, whose toughness. That's always what physical toughness stands out to me. I think that's Ron. He plays with an attitude and edge. I think that the team feeds off of. Yeah, that's interesting uh, that, that you bring him. I'm going to get to football here in a moment because yeah. of, uh, of Greg Schiano. But for the people in this area, Rutgers is 10-0 and at home this year. The building mm-hmm. is sold out. Now, how many of those tickets were bought up by Penn State fans? Because the students, I mean, the classes are not in session here. Uh, what does this game this night mean to Rutgers basketball? I think it means a lot. Um, 
if this game was being played a year ago, I would say it's one of those moments where if they win, kind of, you know, the thing, everything keeps building. If they lose, I think it would kind of let some of the air out of the fan base. I think it's a little bit different now. I think there's there's a, you know, the, with beating Seton Hall by 20 points earlier in the year, you know, kind of finishing the non-conference strong, getting that win at Nebraska, I, I think this team is proven that it's going to be a postseason contender unless something goes completely wrong till the end, whether that's the NCAA tournament, you know, obviously they're being put in some bracket projections now, mm-hmm. uh, sure. very early, whether it's the NIT, you know, bottom line is Rutgers hasn't been to a, hasn't had a winning record, hasn't been to the postseason since 2006. So even if this team, you know, is one game over 500 after an NIT bid, if that's, you know, that would be a major success. That being said, if they beat Penn State tonight with this sellout crowd, you know, I think it is going to take this, the excitement uh, around here to another level. You know, the people are buzzing about the football program for the first time in a while. You know, and now, you know, there was always a sense of optimism and hope because Steve Peichel is just such a, a beloved figure on this campus. You know, he's a guy who's, he does everything right, you know, from an optics standpoint. He's the guy who's at the tailgates of the football games talking to fans, you know. He's the guy who thanks everybody for coming, you know, who makes people, you know, the way it was something, even when the team was struggling, he would meet with the booster club, you know, in his first couple of seasons, and people would be ready to run through a wall after the meeting, even if the team was losing by 20 points, you know, in, in these kinds of games. Now they're at this point, I think if they beat this Penn State team, it just goes to another level. And I think also for Rutgers, from a national percep- perception, if they beat Penn State, you know, they're going to kind of go from being quietly discussed to being right there center stage. I think people are going to be talking about them as kind of the, the, the surprise team of the Big Ten, which I think would be interesting to see how they would handle that, that added attention going forward. When you look at Penn State, what do you see? I see a really good basketball team. You know, I think a, a tough team, you know, that, that's won some games. Obviously, the Iowa win, I think a lot of Rutgers fans had, had a, their eyes on it. It was kind of an exciting back-and-forth game. Uh, you know, a lot of haymakers thrown for them to win that game like that. Um, I think it's a good team. You know, remember this is a team that last year Penn State came in and beat Rutgers at the rack when similar situation where they're kind of building that momentum. You know, you know they were just like that one win they were looking for to kind of get over the hump. And, and Penn State came in here. I know, I know Rutgers had that big comeback, but just couldn't you know couldn't finish at the end. So it, it's a really tough team. I think it's going to be a really tough test. I think it's a great litmus test for Rutgers because. If you look at the home schedule, you mentioned they're 10 now at home. After this, the schedule's tough. It's the Big Ten. But they're not playing, you know, elite nationally ranked teams for the next couple weeks at home. So if they win this game, all of a sudden, I think there's a chance they could really get on a roll at home. And if you win all your home games and you can get one or two on the road in the Big Ten, that NCAA tournament picture suddenly looks a lot more realistic. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you about Rutgers football with Greg Schiano coming in emotionally for the fan base, just for the fan base, okay, the heck with what the football part is yet. Mm-hmm. Seeing him back, what does that at least do to the fan base? I just think it gives them a sense of hope. You know, there was something that, you know, at the very least, Rutgers has hope now, which is something that it just did not have. And look, you know, Greg has done a lot. I mean, he had a, you know, he had a good finish in the recruiting class. Um, nothing you know, that's going to make major waves nationally necessarily, but locally, you know, there, he was able to flip some kids and land some recruits that, quite frankly, were, were, he had to flip them because Chris Ash and the prior staff just couldn't get the job done in state. Um, Greg cleaned that up, which I think was a major boost of, okay, at least we've 
we kind of nailed down what we're supposed to have, and we're in two weeks with a frenetic finish to the signing period. Now we're going to build off that. And I just think it's, you know, what I've always said about Greg, and I didn't cover Greg's first time at Rutgers, but Greg is just a guy who gets New Jersey. And I think you saw that from his introductory press conference with a kind of fire and brimstone appeal to New Jersey. He understands the state. Um, New Jersey is a different place. It's you know it's not a place that's for everybody. And I think if you're going to be the head coach at Rutgers, uh, you need to understand the state. Don't really think the prior regime understood that. Um, they got better as time went along, but they still were not able to kind of close that gap. You know, in time to, to with all the losing they had. Um, Greg gets it. And I just think he gives them hope, and, and there's a belief there's a plan here, and that they know Greg has executed the plan before at Rutgers. And they believe now he can do it again with, with more resources than he ever could have imagined the first time around. But the job's also changed. I mean, yes. This is not this is not the Rutgers job he had the first time. Uh, that's not UConn on the schedule. So no. is there is there a realization that the job has changed compared to what it was the first time around? With all due respect to a guy, obviously I know Greg. Yes. Yeah. Greg was at Penn State for three years, so it's not like I don't know him. I do know him. Uh, and have a lot of respect for him. But what about the realization that, that this isn't the same Rutgers job? No, I definitely think that's there. And he mentioned that. The one thing I will say is that I think that, you know, Greg, you know, when he got here the first time, we talked about a national title. He did that again. I think Rutgers fans realistically look at it. And the way I've always looked at it is if you're Rutgers at this point in time, you got your three non conference games every year. The hope is that you win all three of those games and then. Indiana, Maryland, your crossover opponent from the West. That, that's right. your starting point. You start sure. thinking about six and six, and then you build off that. Yeah, you know, that's that's Rome's not built. Yeah, I think I think that's the way. I think that they would never find say it. I think that's where this starts for Rutgers at this point. Is that Indiana, Maryland, three non-conference games, and look, those games are tough. They play Syracuse. They play Temple this year, and their right. FCS game is against Monmouth first time ever, you know, so you've got an in-state FCS program that's coming up Route 18 pretty fired up, obviously. That, that's going to be a test for them. Uh, but I, I do think that's where this starts from, is that, yes, uh, the Big Ten East is way different than the Big East in terms of Penn State and Michigan, Ohio State, and I think that they're still ways away from, you know, con- consistently competing with those programs, obviously. But I think the way this starts for them is beat Maryland, beat Indiana, win your non-conference games, beat someone in the West, try to get them back to a bowl game. How important will be the junior college fruit, and how important will be uh, transfers for this program in the, in the next couple of years? I think tremendously important. You know, junior college players have always kind of been a hit or miss thing at Rutgers. Uh, there's not a major track record of success just because the way Rutgers has its, you know, classes and its credits set up, it's always been kind of more difficult for Rutgers to land junior college players. Usually, if a, if a junior college player was not a qualifier coming out of high school, Rutgers can't get him. I think they've kind of tried to change that a little bit to kind of catch up. But I think the transfer portal is going to be big too, um, especially with, you know, and I think it's something that Greg has kind of been open about. There are a lot of players from New Jersey who have gone elsewhere. Uh, some of them have gone to Penn State, you know, Michigan, other schools, and haven't found a lot of success. Um, but they might be able to come back and help Rutgers right now. And I think that Rutgers has made it very clear that, you know, if, 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 the, op- if the opportunity has presented itself and it fits for Rutgers and it works for that player, they're willing to welcome these guys back. Obviously, they had several guys come back last year, and I think the door is open again. So I think the big question is going to be how many of those guys can he get 
especially on the offensive and defensive lines. That's where Rutgers is really struggling. Um, that's where it has to start in the Big Ten. You know, the Big Ten is a line of scrimmage league. They've added Malik Barrow, who played Ohio State. You know, obviously he's got to stay healthy. You know, they've added a, grad, a junior college offensive lineman who was from New Rochelle, so you know, who had some offers. So they have to continue to build that. But yes, grad transfers, junior college, especially on the line, that's going to be critical as they try to kind of close the gap for a year or two until he can get a couple of recruiting cycles under him. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you tonight. Excellent. Thank you, guys. All right. So great to have him with us on the show from NJ.com. That's James Cratch. We'll come back next half hour. We'll have Neil Kulong on ES on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Hit with a little snow here today. Yes, yes. Up and down the valley. So Shiklami basketball tonight. Cool. They'll play tomorrow night. Midwest Danville Wrestling, gone. They'll wrestle tomorrow night. Suit, gone. Gone. Oh wait, oh wait. That was that was actually a staff note of hope. Uh, no, all right, he is sorry gone. About that. One o'clock. Out of here. <laughs> I'm sure. All right. Sports Business Journal reported that the NFL had its lowest attendance in 15 years. The publication said for the first time since 2010, the average dropped below 67,000. And the NFL averaged 66,648 fans. Now, it's translating, though, into huge TV ratings. Right. Everybody's, everybody is off the charts and up from last year. And, of course, they had the big dip two years ago. Everybody's bounced back and then some. So, Michael... Uh, uh, Mulvihill put out that the this year's 100 most shows in 1999 of the 100 most watched shows, 21 were sports. In 2009 of the year's 100 most shows, 44 were sports. And in 2019, the year's 100 most shows, 93 of the 100 wow. were sports. That makes sense, though. It's the only truly live thing out there. Everybody else is watching on streaming services. Uh, it's streaming services uh, and so forth, but sports, I mean, the numbers for sports are off the charts. Yeah. And you look at the NFL playoffs over the weekend, they all drew huge numbers, including Houston and Buffalo drawing a record number. Yeah. One thing that sports does, sports, there's not a formula to it. And every time you think you haven't seen something, it then happens. Thursday night football up. Monday night football up. Sunday night football is the most watched TV show of the year. The NFL playoffs, the opening weekend of 2020, all drawing Huge numbers near record numbers, and in one case, a record number. It's remarkable. Neil Kulong on the NFL playoffs and what he's going to do with his Duck Hodges jersey. Next half hour on News Radio 1070. You're listening to 